0: Hi, I'm Christy Uden, CEO at the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. When you think of a safety professional, what comes to mind? Maybe someone holding a clipboard, telling their coworkers what they're doing wrong? That image is common, but narrowly characterizes the fundamental role of a safety professional. Safety professionals play a critical role in the company's culture making it a place where people want to work. They help us see the impact of the safe workplace and think of safety as something we want, not just something we need. Join me as we take a dive into the many facets of what safety professionals really do and the impact they have for their organizations. This is Safety on Location.
1: Hi, Christy. How's it going this morning?
0: Great ready to talk about Jim Beam.
1: Yeah, so this is episode two of Safety on Location, and we were able to visit the Jim Beam plant down in Kentucky, uh, just south of Louisville in Bardstown, Kentucky, Uh, and it was a really interesting visit, and we got to learn a little more about how they approach safety and a few other things while we were there.
0: Yeah, they really focused a lot on their legacy business and how important it was, that traditional process. And so walking through that and just how they've changed the process over the last hundred years and adopted a safety culture, because I, I honestly didn't realize just how dangerous that industry could be. Um, so it was rather eye-opening for me.
1: Yeah, we were able to learn about a lot of the, the hazards they face that you might not think about when, when you're drinking some of their product but uh, there is a lot that goes into it. Um, you mentioned they, they refer to this as a, a legacy business or a legacy industry. And some of the processes they've been using to create bourbon and other types of alcohol, of, they're over 100 years old. So it's really important to them to carry on that tradition. But like you said, it was interesting to, to see how they're incorporating new technologies or even new techniques and ideas into their process to make it safer. And one of the things we talked about was the, the environmental, social, and governance idea that has become more relevant recently.
0: You know, I found it really eye-opening, just the commitment that they've made to sustainability over time. Um, the, the barrels that they use are made from white oak trees. And one of the things that they're doing and taking seriously this approach to ESG is a partner in collaboration on how they restore and and stop the decline. And so they'll, I believe, touch on that a little bit, but they're really thinking through the whole sustainability aspect and they're putting a lot of effort over the last few years in how to make that happen.
1: Yeah, we'll hear how how that's, not just becoming a part of their safety responsibilities, but it's a bigger corporate goal for them as well. So we're gonna jump right into the episode. So here's our visit with Jim Beam.
0: We arrived at Jim Beam in Bardstown, Kentucky on a warm summer day. The campus is bustling with activity and there's an ever present scent of bourbon in the air. Prior to our visit, I was researching Jim Beam, and something caught my attention. I read a lot about their efforts in environmental and sustainability. This topic has become more intertwined with safety recently. We started our visit speaking with Rick Price, Jim Beam's Senior Director of Global Environmental Sustainability, to learn more about these initiatives.
2: My name's Rick Price. I'm the Senior Director of Global Environmental Sustainability for Beam Suntory. I've been with the company going on 27 years. Uh, In my role, I manage what we call proof positive, our environmental sustainability strategy.
0: So Rick, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about safety and the intersection of environmental and sustainability, and just how that's changed over the years.
2: The key thing I think is the core principles really haven't changed. So if you're a safety professional, an environmental professional, honesty, empathy, a desire to to serve people, that's the important bit. I think what continues to evolve and why you you spend time in school and you train and the experience is being able to know when to to lean in, to listen and learn, to engage and coach or, or intercede at a moment's notice. I think as we go forward, it's that type of engagement, knowing how to communicate with people of different experiences, different cultures.
0: In doing that, the scope, of the safety professional seems to have expanded quite a bit over the years. And just talking through the leadership principles and how you're working with building the safety culture, how do you help everyone get on board and understand some of the new roles in the environmental aspect?
2: A big part of what we do is around just communication, how we talk about what the impact is, the impact to people personally, as a company, as a community. And then from there, we talk about what the potential risks are. We try to base those risks on science, on data, so we can help people understand what the impact is and how they can help.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about some of the things that Jim Beam's put in place um, that's more about sustainability and how you've adopted some of those principles?
2: When we started the journey, it was really focused on compliance. It was. ISO certifications, it was voluntary compliance audits. In 2021, we shifted to an enterprise-wide sustainability strategy called Proof Positive. Has three elements, it's based on the community, it's based on consumer and the environment. The whole intent is to make a positive impact in all three of those areas.
0: And so do you do a lot with the community here? Where you're located in Louisville area is that what you're doing
2: every facility every site have engagements with the community the community includes our employees it could be employee engagement groups it could be volunteer hours with our neighbors Bernheim forest
0: and um, I told you I was reading a little bit about the trees that are being planted are there some other initiatives um, as far as sustainability that you're working
3: with
2: One is that the tree planting with the Nature Conservancy and Green Forest Works to to reclaim former coal mine lands, to replace them with American white oak that are used to make barrels, but also a lot of other native plants and flowers. The biggest initiative we have at the Claremont and the Booker No facility is a renewable energy facility. It'll take spent stillage from the distillery and actually create renewable natural gas for our facility. The facility will actually take the spent stillage from the distillery to a third party and they'll create renewable natural gas. It'll be 60% of our natural gas needs for the entire facility. It'll reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by more than 50%. And it'll create a natural fertilizer. All the material that comes from these anaerobic digesters will be used in Kentucky as a natural fertilizer to replace inorganic fertilizers that have a a high carbon footprint.
0: When you look at this and we were talking about just safety changing over time. Has this, with your position, always been part of your position, or, or when did you start switching towards focusing on the renewable energy sustainability? Um, when did you see that as a shift?
2: Within the industry, I think it's been going on for decades. For us, with our parent company, Suntory, it really went to another level in 2015. 2015, we changed gears from having a moderate pace to having some bold, ambitious goals for 2030
0: and 2040. With ESG, right? It's it's the big buzzword right now, and it's been around for a while. I know companies are looking at it. Is that something that you know, you're know you tasked with in your role? And can you talk a little bit about what that means?
2: So the, the approach to ESG throughout being Suntory goes back to that proof positive concept the three pillars of community, consumer and environment. The ESG management, we take a holistic approach, kind of a dynamic materiality or what we call a double materiality to make sure we fully understand what the potential impacts are of our business operations.
0: What's one of the biggest challenges you've had in in moving towards sustainability?
2: Probably one of the biggest challenges with sustainability is making sure the facts are relevant to everyone, making sure that the risks are relevant to people. A good example is in Kentucky, we may not consider water stress an issue, but our facility in Northwest India, they can only withdraw 15,000 liters a day. So 200% replenishments requirement. Water stewardship has a different connotation, different context than it does here in Kentucky.
0: Speaking of water, that was something that um, some of the initiatives um, with the wastewater And the environmental concern seemed a little bit unique to Jim Beam. Can you touch upon that as well?
2: So for the the Jim Beam facility, the water is a good example of the holistic approach. If we start with just the, the base water, the natural water we use in our process, we take it from the lake, it's wholly used as an ingredient. It goes in our product. It goes for steam. We preserve that only for product use. Other utility uses come from other sources, city water sources, things like that. When it comes to the full cycle that, whenever possible, we reuse process water. The bourbon distillation process in itself allows for some process water reuse. We treat our wastewater to high standards to make sure it meets compliance, but also the downstream needs of our users
0: thinking through the whole process. So our audience can, what what is the process through distil, when you're working through the distillery? Kind of thinking about the start until you have the bottle, you know, in production.
2: So if you think about the, uh, the natural resources as an input to this, it starts with the grains, whether it's corn, rye, barley, it comes into the facility and it's milled down. It's met with lake water, that natural limestone water, and it's created into a mash. And that mash starts to ferment and creates an alcohol that gets distilled off. And we have this distillate that goes into a barrel. It's a new white oak barrel. It has to be a new barrel every time. And then the remaining part, that spent stillage, is currently used for animal feed. In the future, we're gonna continue our path to convert spent stillage into renewable energy. When I think about the distillery industry a lot of the products whether it's bourbon tequila cognac scotch japanese whiskey they're really based on a location they're they're made here in kentucky or they're made in scotland if they're shipped all over the world i think the biggest challenge the biggest opportunity something our industry is really proud of is keeping the history and heritage the things that make all those brands unique and special to consumers but finding the most sustainable way to ship that to them. That transportation and distribution will probably be the biggest challenge our industry takes on over the next 10 to 15 years.
0: When we wrapped up our time with Rick, we transitioned to touring the production facilities with another member of Jim Beam's EHS team, James Trusley.
4: Uh, James Trusley, I'm a CSP. Um, I've been with Jim Beam brands uh, for 19 years. i uh, started at the Frankfurt plant. Managed environmental, wastewater, risk management, security, uh, and safety. I'm now more focused uh, with the Brand House on just overall campus security, safety, and I've got a team of uh, seven guys that help me do that.
0: We began with James at one of the bottling lines where bottle after bottle was moving through the production line. He began to explain some of the potential hazards they face with their process.
4: Yeah, so this is our this is one of our bottling areas here at James B. Beam. And we bottle 50 milliliter uh, smaller bottles that are wax dipped. We also do our hand finishing of Booker's, Baker's, Basil, Knob Creek, all of our small batch collection. So one of the risks that we have down here is just the heated wax. So you have a potential for burns on the skin, burns on your hands, and so you can see some of the PPE controls that we have are the gloves and the sleeve. And then we use a lower temperature rack, wax than most normal applications.
0: And so this is your production line. How So how many bottles go through in a day? Is this a 24 hour operation? No,
4: this is, this is usually one to two shifts. So we may work from 7.30 a.m. till 10 p.m. 11 p.m. These are just primarily sales samples that we produce. You can see it's a super slow production line. Um, Our high-speed production lines are upstairs, but this is all super manual and hand dipped type processes. So um, yeah, it just takes takes a little longer down here. We don't get as much production.
0: Has there been any technology you know in the last you've been here a little over 20 years right
4: Yeah, 19 years
0: um, right. ha- any technology that's changed and in re- reduced risk
4: absolutely um our knob creek line was a was a wax dipping line this machine just kind of manually mechanically flipped the bottles over and so you were kind of exposed to the wax so we went to injection molding on one of our products knob creek and it's reduced injuries, obviously, but also just comp- complexity, process time, much safer. You can do it with less people, more automated.
0: How how is a risk assessment done? Just in general, how would you do a risk?
4: Yeah, assessment? so we would get we would get a team of people together: maintenance operators, engineers, quality control, safety. Um, and we were just getting in a room, and we got a, we got a form that we use, kind of an FMEA or your modes effects analysis. And um, we would start just putting, identifying some of the risks, taking pictures, what's the work instruction associated with it? How do we use our hierarchy of controls to reduce the risk? And elimination is always number one, right? You wanna eliminate the risk completely. And then the absence of being able to eliminate, we put in the PPE controls and administrative controls like we have with uh, the gloves and the, and the sleeves.
0: And so thinking through just safety culture, because with any change, there's a difference in behavior, right? So how do people adapt pretty quickly to that? And you know, what, what kind of methodology do you use when putting in new procedures that do reduce risk?
4: So I started 19 years ago in 2004 in Frankfurt at our bottling plant, and I've worked with Rick Price and corporate now I I've been here for 12 years and I can tell you it's completely different from when I started to how we've evolved now we're much more inclusive
0: so you have more buy-in they're part of the overall oh, yeah, process yeah I mean when
4: and we developing. send them on overseas to actually be equipment maker and so they can be there when the equipment's
0: oh being really mm-hmm. so they're part of the process well that is inclusive, yeah so they go with it?
4: yeah they go yeah. with engineers and
0: Oh, and, uh, that's a really cool yeah. opportunity too. Go
4: to Italy. Go to Germany. Go to France.
0: Well, that's a great way to invest in your yeah. employees. That's that's really impressive.
4: Yeah, and then we have them help create the training programs and <laughs> for their fellow operators, and um, yeah, do some of the onboarding for new employees.
0: How did you get into safety?
4: Um, this is a great story. I graduated college in '96, University of Kentucky. I have a psychology degree, undergrad. Then I went in the army and did aviation safety in the Army. And so I was a I was a sergeant, but I was like the squad leader for all of our armament operations and uh, out in the field stuff. And so that's, was a combat lifesaver, started there, correlated that into a third shift, EPA Superfund site safety officer job. And then I got the job with BEAM in 2004 and went back, I got my master's degree in CSP. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, teach at Eastern Kentucky University too. Okay. So.
0: Did you even know when you started that safety was a career?
4: No, I remember just telling my dad I don't want to wear a suit every day and it's so different every day.
0: So I hear that from a lot of people. Yeah. You, you, it's Every day you get to do something new, you're not necessarily sure what to expect.
4: No, that's great and especially with our campus like you have got the visitor component too. So we've got 150 to 200,000 visitors that are on site every year. Oh. So we've got to take, make sure that they're, all the steps are good to go and you know, the undulations and just the, the floors are smooth and you know, there's AEDs where they need to be. And, okay.
0: So you're doing public safety yeah, public as safety, well as right <laughs> operational yeah. inside.
4: Listen, we started with this team five years ago. So I can tell you our, our climate at that time was not great. Um, it was very adversarial, and we picked a team of 12 employees across every department, and we had a champion, three or four manager champions, supervisors, and then I was the, the guy that had to manage the team, right? And so, yeah, we, we invested about a year and a half of training, 18 months of training, in every one of these employees, and we've had the team going for five years, and it's been Extremely successful, less injuries. One of the best projects I've ever worked on.
0: As we moved through our tour of Jim Beam's production process, James showed us some unique pieces of equipment, like a high-speed palletizing machine that are necessary to their efficiency and also present safety concerns. We could see machine guarding and other measures that have been put in place. James then gave us more insight into their safety management system. So now is this part of um, when you shut down in July. Is this part of the maintenance then that's looked at and okay.
4: Yeah, so we'll do a two week bottling shutdown. So that's maintenance on all this equipment, the mainline conveyor, palletizer, shrink wrapper, bottling equipment. And then the distillery shutdown is four weeks. So that's when you're working on your pressure vessels and clean outs and a lot of confined space entries and permits. Okay. So it's a whole different level of safety once you start
0: yeah. doing that. No kidding. I mean, there's some high risk challenges that you have.
4: Like when I started, pressure vessels scared me, like really understanding how they worked and how safeties were. And I feel very comfortable now, but it's taken 20 years yeah. okay. of experience and risk assessments and being a part of projects to, to have that.
0: So is there constant testing happening? Yeah, there's the, a
4: preventive maintenance program, a PM on every one of those. Um, we use SAP as our preventive maintenance system. And so, we, yeah, we'll bring in FM boiler guy that comes in and gives us the verification. And so this is receiving, you can see, we've got safe zones to walk and
0: So all your green spots are your right. safe, safe zones. This is Morning. part of the... Safety management system, right? So these are the things that, as you're building your safety management system, you're you're thinking about.
4: Yeah, it's all part of the risk assessment. And we're ISO 45001 certified. So yeah, we've been ISO certified since 2011.
0: After seeing the production process and all the various buildings on site, I began to understand the huge scope of responsibilities that James and his team oversee. This made me wonder how they go about building a strong safety culture and mitigate all the risks associated with the distilling process. Like, it's part of your job, tell me that. Are you coming into all of these facilities on a daily, weekly basis? Oh yeah,
4: yeah, I mean, I've got an office here. I've got a team of, I guess, have a safety manager, 45 security officers, security manager, another safety manager for Boston, a safety supervisor. So every day, one of us is out walking the floor, uh, going to morning huddles, talking about safety incidents that happened for the day. A resource for anybody, right? If, if there's a risk assessment that needs to be done or we need to talk over uh, risky behavior with somebody witnessed on the floor, we get involved in all that.
0: Our employees then encouraged to you know, report something or?
4: Yeah, we have a near miss uh, hazard identification process.
0: You guys have an emergency response team. We do. On site.
4: We're one of the only distilleries that has an industrial fire brigade. So they get 128 hours of training a year. Um, We operate two fire apparatus. Um, They are hazmat trained, CPR first aid AED. so anytime we issue a permit or need a confined space entry done Then we're gonna call our emergency response team in to be a part of that process.
0: What's the biggest risk um, of a, like a fire hazard?
4: Uh, I mean, fire's our biggest risk, but I mean, we have controls in place. We've got fire detection, monitoring, all of our new houses, warehouses have smoke detection in them, heat, um, and we have the fire brigade at both plants. So they're super well-trained so we have dry pipe systems, so just making sure that you know everything is checking out the way it's supposed to. From grain receiving coming in, to bottles going on the, on the truck, to the, to the consumer, the distributor, I mean, there's just so much risk in that process. And then you layer on the visitor risk and all the active aggressor stuff that's happening, you know, which is in our purview also.
0: James then introduced us to another member of his team, Chris, and we began to discuss how they do a risk assessment. Chris pulled out a large foam board with a bird's eye view of the entire campus with every building labeled. They both began to explain how they use this as a tool to tell a story to executives about safety needs.
4: Yeah, we assign for every one of our warehouses, we have a risk sign on them. So we've done an evaluation on every one of them. Um, We've said, okay, is this warehouse good to go for egress? Does it have sprinklers? what's the sprinkler maintenance systems. So Chris put this together so we could explain to executives kind of how we're laid out. But this is an overview of our plant where you are today. And we've gone to every warehouse and done a risk assessment with a third party. And this is kind of our work path to making sure they're all up to our BEAM standard or BEAM centauri standard.
0: So this is just part of the job that you're going through and Managing all of this, and
4: yeah, it's a whole different work stream.
3: This board we're using for um, kind of a, a gauge of where we're at on the re- warehouse remediation process. So um, it'll tell, it gives the location and the name of, of each warehouse, tell you when it was built, it'll tell you what work has been done um, and what work is still to be done or in process. So we have a, a master spreadsheet that engineering has um, that's had a structural assessment on all the warehouses. And then it also has the assessment of, of what things we want, like the lighting, the dunnage replacement, post replacement. So this was a good visual to take to the to the upper leadership and say, this is where we're at. This is what we still need. Um, you can see the houses that are that are are marked in green; those are in good condition, good standing. So there's nothing that has to be done to those. The ones in yellow have some issues, but we're still able to go in and work. Um, Every time they go in that warehouse, they are, are read a are briefing from a supervisor. So even if they go into it every single day this week, they will get read that briefing every single time they go into it. Not just that day, if they went in in the morning and afternoon, they would get that briefing each time. So it gets redundant, but but people understand that's the message, that's the thing that what we wanna convey. And then the red warehouses, those are actually treated almost like a confined space. So they've got some type of issue that we don't want them going into until we've done a process. So that starts with, Um, The warehouse team will tell us actually what location in the warehouse they're going. We will physically go out and inspect that location. If all is good, we sign off on it. Um, If there's an issue, we either have our in-house carpenters take care of it or one of our contractors come in and take care of it. So when we ask for a a lot of money to go in and and do these repairs, um, it's kind of hard to to visualize that from pictures and spreadsheets. So we actually invited the, the CFO on site, took him through the warehouses, showed him the issues we had, So it didn't take a whole lot of of coercing after that. One of the stories I remember from that is I took him into Warehouse W, which was built in 1935. And we're walking down that aisle, it's dark. None of this stuff had been done yet. And he said, well, how do you get those barrels out? And I said, well, you go down that catwalk in between the ricks and get them. And he looked in there and he said, in there was dark (laughs) and spiders. I said, yeah.
0: spiders."
3: (laughs) He said, I don't think this would be the job for me. So until he was here to look at that, he didn't really understand. Um, and I know on the trip to Boston, where they were taking him to the newer warehouses, he, I think he expressed some concerns to James and our, our plant manager saying, how are we sending people in there? And then we went and showed him what we're doing and what we're building to the future, and it eased his mind.
0: How long does it take once you kind of map that out to implement a system like that? you know when you're doing your risk assessment and like you're talking about your emergency response team you know if you're in a different location and there's a hazard how do you communicate with them you've identified all of those risks is the risk assessment a process that's gradual or do you identify everything first and then figure out an implementation plan so yeah
4: we, we so when we started this project it was get a third party risk assessment group to work with us they were out of nashville Engineers and CSPs and some PEs, and um, we brought them in and we evaluated every warehouse in Kentucky. So it took us about nine months. So after those nine months, we worked with our engineering and procurement teams to come up with a phased plan. We're still distilling every day, so products going into warehouses, so we can't just shut a warehouse down. Right. So it was working on scheduling and timing and what we could get done and contractors, and that was during the pandemic and there was supply chain shortages and everything. But so all that stuff factors into that we had a cross-functional team working on it.
0: One thing that's interesting that you brought up and we hear this quite a bit is how to speak to executives and how to relay this information and in, in a fashion that's understandable, that's thinking about the human component, but also the cost, right? And so what do you have any you know, tips or anything that you found useful?
4: So we formed a team of five people after our last negotiations and we were having some injuries in warehouses. That's when we brought the CFO down and said, hey, we need help. We need to face some capital over the next five, six years. And so he allotted us 25 million. And then we formed a team called the Kentucky Warehouse Safety Team. And then we just started tackling everything, work instructions, job hazard analysis, training, we probably communicated to more executives than anybody in the company. It's just, they've come to see the story. So it's re- really been a great opportunity for all of us. And then we spread it across globally. So Scotland comes to us and says, hey, tell us about this, or um, Fabrice in, uh, in France. Hey, how'd you guys do this?
0: So you're training beyond just the team. Yeah, Beam, you're- I mean,
4: the industry's a legacy industry, right? So we do things one way and that's the way we do it. And what we tried to do with that team was all that stuff's off the table. Like, let's get different engineers in here to look at our processes differently. We partnered with University of Kentucky's engineering school, had their students come out and do a capstone project on a different way to put barrels into, into warehouses. Every part of the process we, we evaluated. Yeah, and people come to us as such a, so subject matter experts in warehousing safety. So it's been a pretty neat process to, Be a part of.
0: So there's a lot of strategy involved in what you're doing, business communications, and the interesting piece of this and the unique story um, to me, you know, even when I came into safety and hearing you talk about it, is that it's a mindset. And so what you're talking about is, if you were to tell somebody, here's what a safety professional does. How would you even describe that? <laughs> <laughs> Come
4: spend a day with us, you know? And then tomorrow's gonna be different than that. And then Wednesday will be different than that. And then we'll have security issues. And then we're gonna deal with that. and We'll have a visitor fall out. We'll have medical, deal with that, you know? So it's, every day is different.
0: How do you stay on top of all of this?
4: I got a great team. I mean, yeah, it's, that's it.
0: It was apparent to me that James had a clear vision for the EHS team at Jim Beam. They are a tight-knit group who share a same passion for ensuring all their fellow coworkers remain safe in a high-risk environment. So I asked James, what do you look for in a safety professional? And where does certification come into play?
4: We organize, we have meetings every week, um, willingness to engage with employees, personality matters, right? You can get a very rigid engineering type, safety, black and white, uh, no gray area, let's don't work together. So you can have that type of personality, which I, I don't want on my team. Assertiveness, So you've got to be able to stand in there and hold your ground type thing. Uh, but then you got to be able to talk to the CEO about getting money. The certification is a, just a foundational piece, I think for any safety professional that I have. It gives you the credibility, it gives you the science. I teach at Eastern, masters and undergrad. That's theory mostly, right? It's not application yes. and so csp is really the application of that and that's what i that's what i like about it
0: and you said your background was psychology yeah
4: psychology yeah. yeah
0: so do you see how you've incorporated psychology absolutely the, it's really interesting how you've taken all these different aspects with your team design psychology and put it into something that's that's really impactful for jim beam
4: we have the DSPA, which is Distillers Safety Professionals Association. I've been on it for 15 years. It's been around since the 50s. And we've got notes from back in the 50s when safety directors used to get together. It's, it's a global safety professionals organization. You've got all your biggest distilleries and we're bringing the craft distilleries in to teach them about pressure vessels and explosions and all that stuff.
0: Do you meet here in Kentucky or does it?
4: This year we're gonna do it in Kentucky at a University of Kentucky. we do different training topics and just topics that the members wanna talk about. And it's a completely transparent group. We share documents. We fight in the market. We share for safety. I think the bottom line is we don't want anyone to get hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, like if we have a better method, technique, process that can help you, because most people don't have the resources that we do. We're very fortunate that the organizations invest in us this way and if you're a starting safety professional in a new distillery it's a pretty daunting task and so it's great that they can come to us and we can share
1: information with them so that was our visit with jim beam a very interesting tour we got to meet a lot of great safety professionals and you know some key takeaways that I had, at least the first one, was how they they build community. And one of the last things James said was, we fight in the market, but share for safety. so they're they're working with other distillers to make sure everyone's working by the the best practices that that they've learned.
0: That's right, Charlie. I came away with the same takeaway about the distillers group and just how they all have a piece of the market share but they work together because they all know the importance of safety and they want to help each other. I mean, ultimately you learn from others and they've built a community around that.
1: Another interesting thing was uh, when we talked to Chris and, and he showed us that, uh, that board that they created. And, you know I, I, I realized that safety professionals have a great responsibility in sharing the story of safety, when it comes to their organization with their executives so they can get that buy-in that's needed?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that just over time we've discovered as an organization and it kind of solidifies what we've noticed. And that's one, how you tell the story and being able to tell the story. Because when you do have a seat at the table, you need to know how to communicate. And that's really important. both in how you share that information verbally but the way they were able to provide a visual and walk people through that they're taking the concept of people understand through different types of mediums and applying that to their leadership skills it was interesting how they talked about you know looking at numbers when they talked to the CFO you know we've we've tried looking at that ourselves and how are we inspiring leaders so I had a great takeaway to see that they are actually implementing a lot of those techniques into their, into their safety culture.
1: Yeah. That was one of the most interesting things for me to see. But then, you know, James, when, when we asked him, you know, how, how do you complete all these tasks or how do you maintain a, a safe culture? And and he talked about how he builds his team from the inside out. So that was to me an, a, another key takeaway is how he's looking for talent In other departments, and it might not be someone who is a traditional safety professional, but they have skills and traits that he looks for.
0: It's, you know, the people on the ground doing the job that really understand the process and those that have, you know, bought into safety. And when I say bought in, I mean more about taking what they've learned, applying it, and being able to mentor and inspire others to do the same. Um, And so sometimes that's easier to do peer to peer. And, you know, James was able to take the approach, he took the time to do the walk arounds to get to know people. And that allowed for those within the organization to have for something for them to inspire to, and look up to because they do look internally at how they grow people and put them on a career pathway. And that's, you know really instilled within their entire safety management system and and part of that process
1: yeah so this this visit just just seeing how another industry, another company approaches safety and how it's a priority to them it's it's part of their um it's instilled in everything they do uh with with the high risk environment that they're working in, so that was a, a really good visit for us, and i hope our our listeners were able to get some good takeaways that you can you know, start thinking about or maybe even uh, implement into your environment that you're in. It may not be distilling bourbon. It may be something else, but I think there's some some key takeaways anyone can, can get from this episode. So that will do it for episode number two of Safety on Location, our, our visit with Jim Beam. So if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to subscribe it's found on all major podcasting platforms and we'll be back soon with with another episode and we'll just keep visiting interesting places so christy thank you and until next time well, cheers yeah stay safe
4: <laughs> safety on location is a podcast from bcsp with your host bcsp ceo christy Uden. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham. Produced and edited by Michael Escobedo. And editorial support from Tyson Matthews. If you liked this episode, subscribe to receive
1: new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.